Welcome to another Top of the Table interview. Join us as we hear stories and advice from MDRT Top of the Table qualifiers. All right, welcome to Top of the Table. I'm Sandy Chassel. My work is coaching successful advisors to get whatever they want next in their careers that's been eluding them. And sometimes it's about getting to the top of the table. Today, I have the honor of talking with Kelly Smith, who's been a top of the table member for 13 going on 14 years now. Kelly's been in the business for over 40 years. He's consistently qualified as a life member of the MDRT. He had many years at court of the table. Uh, and uh, of course, as I mentioned, he's now been uh, at top of the table for almost 14 years. Early in his career, Kelly was referred to the Los Angeles Association of Deputy District Attorneys, uh, and that really boosted his business. And I'm really interested to learn how he connected with them and what he did for them. He also worked for the NFL Players Association, another story I think that you're going to want to hear. Kelly spent most of his career working with businesses in the fields of mergers and acquisitions, turnarounds, and investment banking. And a few years ago, Kelly founded Capital Smith Financial and Insurance with five other partners. His firm helps small businesses with tactical tools such as ESOPs, leveraging, and trusts with the aim of neutralizing taxes. So I'm excited to be talking with you, Kelly, today about your career path, uh, and welcome. Hi, Sandy. How are you doing? So, oh, good, good. I, you know, it, it, for me, it's a big opportunity because whenever I talk to somebody at top of the table, uh, I'm learning more and I'm able to share it with the people who want to hear your story. Now, I know that You've been working, you, you grew up in the Midwest, you've been working um, since you were 13 years old. You played varsity sports. I know football was one of them, there are probably others in the story as well. And um, you went to college and did that. And at some point you said, hmm, I wanna get into the financial and insurance industry. How did that happen? I had been working full time. And then I went through on-campus interviews but in the interim, part of my full-time work was I had a, uh, uh, an oil and gas uh, franchise that I had invested in, which was dealing with synthetic oil. And in the nighttime, I was doing telephone soliciting for one of those land sales. So I was working full-time daytime, uh, still going to school. I had, I started, I had my knees operated on between my El Camino junior college and college. So I had stopped playing football. So my involvements were academics, uh, being a member of the Kappa Sigma fraternity, and then working around my classes during the daytime, marketing the synthetic oil. And it was a very, it was a not, it was before Arco Black or Texas, uh, Texaco. It was the first one and it was a non-petroleum product and um but there was no advertising so i'd get cases of it sold to different auto stores and it would just sit on the shelves and so i was working a lot part-time at night and i got a hold of a uh, getting people to go listen to a land sales presentation over a steak dinner and i get paid minimum wage on the phone and get a dollar for everybody that showed up 
and this is a long time ago. This was back in, you know, 74 or 75. And so the person I called one night was a sales manager for a life insurance company. And he said, I like your style on the phone. Would you be interested in coming in and doing an interview? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about selling life insurance. And he said, well, and I explained to him, my, my part-time business, I have hopes for this synthetic oil thing. I'll be glad to give up my life, my in nighttime telemarketing job. But he said, well, well, we'll pay you a base. And then you can, I'll, and I will make sure you can still do the other business if you want to do it. And back then, the base salary, this was back in 75, 76, was, I think, 1500 And that was a lot of money to me on a guaranteed monthly paycheck. And so I went down and interviewed, and I took the aptitude test and scored high. And he was pushing to sign up. But then as I was getting ready to start training, uh, I got a phone call. And another agent was calling me to follow up on one of those free wallets or free travel, you know, like a telemark, you know, like a direct mail thing. And he was qualifying me on the phone as to, you know, how old am I? Am I married? And all that kind of stuff. He's talking about how much life insurance. I said, well, you should say that. I'm going to go to work for XYZ. And he said, well, wait a minute. If you're going to go to work in the insurance business, then why don't you come talk to my general agent? So I did. And then I, I liked that environment even better. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I, I was going to go to work for here. I've only met one other company, and I like them better. Maybe I should start interviewing around. So I interviewed with a number of companies. And uh, one night, like on Monday nights at our fraternity, is when they have their meetings. And a lot of times, recent alumni will drop in and listen to the meeting and, you know, chat. And one night, my pledge brother and I were uh, sitting there visiting, and and uh, I told him, I said, well, I'm thinking of going to the insurance business, and I've interviewed around, and so he handed me this card of a very good friend of his that had worked on the Republican campaign with him when he was working for Reagan's uh, uh, gubernatorial, and uh, so we talked about it, and I went and interviewed with him and hit it, hit it off, and, uh, you know, he was with New York Life, and it was a nice office, a good company. Uh, I'd heard of him. I was very... It, it, excited about the environment. And so I, I ended up going with them and I was there for a year, actually a year and a half total. But my first year I, I was blessed. I qualified for a round table. Um, and then in between the end of the year and round table in June, one of my other fraternity brothers who was at Northwestern mutual, who I'd run into a couple of times in competition, um, we had breakfast and he said, you know, you should, you should come talk to us. And I said, well, I'm, I'm in a good office. I love the company. It's a great company. And but the problem is that even though my sales manager was awesome and I really cared about him and he helped me a lot. In fact, he's really responsible for me. He, he did the push in the second half of the year to get me to make roundtable. Um, there were like 60 agents in that office and I was only one of four roundtable members and I was a rookie. And so it was not a, an environment that was you know, kumbaya and everybody worked together. And so I, when I went and interviewed with the Northwestern Mutual office, it was a scratch office, it had been in its ninth or 10th year, and they had gotten up to 40 agents and all of them were round table. And there were four top of the table members in that office, two of which I eventually in June, I would see speaking at, at the round table meeting I was going to. So I didn't make a decision then, but coming back from round table and meeting and my fraternity brother was kind of sneaky. 
he set up the whole thing with the hotel, but he surrounded me with all of his career school buddies. And so it, it just everything morphed and I ended up switching to there. Well, I was still doing a lot of personal market. And, um, but one of the things that you'd mentioned too was the LA County district attorney's endorsement with the association that came. And this is a story I tell young agents. I said, you know, you go out and if they can fog a glass, you know, if they can, if they're breathing, write the policy. And I was driving all over anytime, anywhere. And, uh, one of my fraternity brothers, his older brother, was an attorney in the in the attorney general's office up on Wilshire. He was a deputy attorney general. So I went up, met with him, did some disability insurance, and then I got referred to like ten of the people there. And so we were, I was doing a lot of individual disability policies. And then one of the guys I met was um, eventually became a judge. But he he said, well, you know, if you're dealing with us with this disability product, you ought to talk to the the a, you know, the district attorney's office, they make across the board, they make 10, 15% more than the same step and grade here in our office. So introduced me to a few people there. I talked to them. Uh, two of them were on their association board and we started talking about it and they were wanting to know about just more than just the one policy disability carrier. I was at that time still marketing. And so I said, well, if I do a complete analysis of all the products that are available in California, even including the county bar, the state bar, uh, the association stuff through your group. And I do, at that time, there were like 24 carriers in California. It's done like five now. But I did the complete analysis and on the condition that I would get an endorsement. If I went to all that work and it provided a benefit to help encourage the individual deputy DAs to join the membership or stay with the membership and it added value to them as well. So I started out on the program. We got it through guaranteed issue and uh, midstream I, I had to switch because some of the stuff that I'd gotten guaranteed issue at, at where I was, they said, well, we, we can't do that. And I'd already taken 400, 500 apps. I said, I'm not going to go back out there and say, you know, hey, I on you guys that are at this level with this particular retirement program, I can't issue 1500 a month. I can only issue 12. So we ended up rolling the whole case over to another carrier that was very similar and had just dropped their premiums. So we went through that. And what I what I tell people is that that case, which was helped make me made my first year top of the table, evolved because I was talking to individuals. And my fraternity brother leading, referring me to his brother, his older brother, who then referred me to his people, ended up with, ended up writing eventually 600 lives because it poured over into the public defenders. We ended up picking up some judges. And then on the thing with the, the National Football League, one of my friends that had followed me from New York Life to Northwestern Mutual, his brother was a receiver on the Rams. And... He bought a policy from his brother, but this particular gentleman was not real technical. He was just a salesperson and a really good one. So we met with his brother and we started getting referred. He brought me in to be his joint work partner from a more technical aspect. <clears throat> so we eventually ended up, I think, having 16 members of the Rams. And uh, a lot of them started getting traded to the 49ers and the Chiefs and everything else. And most of my players ended up becoming 
captains of the team where they got traded. So when the first NFL player strike came around, there was there was no official NFL Players Association. Uh, it was evolving at that time. And all the Lee Steinbergs, uh, Lee St uh, you know, like the Jerry Maguire types, they were they were just starting to get rolling at that time. So I did everything from doing insurance, advising on retirement, post post playing because the average playing time there was 3.7 years, and so because of that, we I started helping negotiate some contracts, and then at, then one of my other fraternity brothers. <laughs> had gone into partnership with Don Sutton, Mitch Kupchak, and a and a, a local developer down here in Newport Beach who was also uh, chairman of the board for a small bank. And so we started dealing with baseball players and basketball players and fairly wealthy individuals here in, in Newport Beach. And uh, so I, that was mixed back and forth with what we were doing with the district attorneys and the public defenders and the judges. And then one of the opportunities I had was I was introduced to a gentleman that had been uh, in investment banking, and he was the one that took Western Digital out of bankruptcy. He went in, got a whole bucket full of stock at pennies on the dollar, because First Interstate had been taken back shares of stock, First Interstate Bank, which no longer exists, had been taken back shares of stock in, in lieu of debt payments. So this gentleman was given all that stock to do a turnaround and make the kit company good. And he did. He turned around Western Digital. It's now a powerhouse. Uh, and he was doing the same thing with a whole bunch of other companies. And so he said, if you can do that more and more, what you did with revamping the health insurance and everything else and the, the qualified plans and the golden handcuffs, then I'd like you to do more of that. So I kind of got away from the association, got away from the, the NFL, and got more into mergers and acquisitions, which started my, my more of my involvement with ESOPs. Now, I had my first month in the business, I had, I mean, I was a brand new agent, and at that time, New York Life had a regional meeting, and the speakers, one of the speakers there was, was Lou Kelso, who was the father of ESOPs, and then one of their I think Bob Frisch was a huge, I remember this is 44 years ago. Um, he was one of the leaders at New York Life at the time because he was working with ESOP. So the whole, this was right after Arisa came in and they were introducing the field force to ESOPs. Well, I was still memorizing my sales talk. So I mean, it just, you know, not, it, it, it went over my head, but I took copious notes, bought everybody's book and read about it. But then I didn't really have an opportunity to work with it very much until I started getting involved with the mergers and acquisitions. And then at that time, one of my other fraternity brothers, not from my chapter, but from Ohio State, was a very wealthy land owner. And we were talking about how he bought, bought and sold a lot of apartment buildings. And he explained the intricacies of what back then was a very complicated depreciation uh, model. They had like five different types of depreciation, you know, double declining balance and all these different things. And he explained how that offset strategy of a depreciation, which was, you don't write a check for it. It just exists in the tax code and it gives you a tax deduction. So he could buy a piece of property, rehab it, move people in, charge a nice rent. And 
the difference between the mortgage tax deductible interest and the positive cash flow and the rent, he would offset that with the paper tax deduction on the ESOP. So I, I'm not an ESOP on the, on the depreciation. So I looked at that and I said, well, wait a minute. If the way I understand ESOPs is you can do the same thing to some extent, but on a qualified plan basis. So that's where I developed my earlier stages of what I call offset strategies. So that's for the last 30 plus years, that's mainly what I've been doing is working in the, the ESOP employee ownership succession exit marketplace, but not doing the normal leveraged ESOPs that everybody does. I go in with a contributory model to generate tax deductions. So instead of looking for somebody that's 65 years old that wants to sell their company and not pay capital gains tax through the 1042 exchange, I try to get to them ahead of time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ahead of time, use the paper tax deduction to let them keep their money inside their company as what we call it TURC, tax exempt retained capital, and use that to build the company. So instead of a $5 million company growing to be a 10 million, we might have a 5 million grow to be a 20 million. And without the ESOP, the person sells the 10 million and they lose 37% in capital gains taxes. So they're walking away with 6.3 million. And if we help them with the Turk grow their business higher, they get up to 20 or 30 million. And then they don't pay the capital gains because of selling it to the ESOP. So instead of somebody growing from five to 10 and keeping six, they go from five to 20 and keep 20. And along the way, in mostly, we generally premium finance the life insurance and pay off the premium financing from the tax savings of the capital gains when they sell the business. So we're not taking the premium financing repayment of debt from the policy. We're instead giving them a paid up policy and we're using the capital gains tax savings to pay off the premium financing. So that's kind of where we are today. <laughs> so there's so much here. And I want to tell you the things that I picked up in what you said, and then see if I missed anything, see if there's something you'd want to emphasize. And the first one was that it seems that almost everything started by having good relationships with not just your college fraternity brothers, but the people that you met along the way. So it starts with those relationships, because it seems like almost everything came from that. The second thing that I picked up, and again, this is just what I caught in what you said, but I thought it was worth pointing out, was that the office environment is important in the sense that when you could be in, in an office where there were top of the table members and everyone was going after MDRT and courted the table, it just inspired you to do more. And uh, I have a colleague that says, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really find that I'm the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> almost, and, almost, every, almost every room I run into, I'm not the smartest guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I almost find that hard to believe, but I'm going to let you off the hook and, and say, yeah, okay, maybe that's true. Um, the third thing that you said was, you know, when you're starting out, just go see anybody. I mean, if they're breathing and, and they're, they have an interest, then just go see anybody because some of the things that happened to you was just from being out doing that. Yeah. The thing that I picked up was <laughs> that technical skills are 
important. Some of this business that you got came from somebody who was a really good salesperson, but he wasn't, didn't have very much technical knowledge. And the more you talk, and I, and I can see some advisors saying, oh my God, I don't understand a word this guy said, <laughs> you know, as you went yeah. and, and it's the same thing. You heard about ESOPs, you, and you said, look, I want to read everything there is about him because I really want to understand him. And you did that even before you had any real ESOP work. Uh, and so, yeah. So that's another thing that I picked up is, hey, technical support never stop developing and learning those technical skills. The next thing I picked up is that um, if you're doing the work and you're doing it every day, it starts to snowball. And for you, that's clearly what happened. So, so that was another thing. Uh, another thing that I picked up is that you have to be open to new people and to new ideas. And for you, it was, it's almost like a religious experience where you say, oh, I, I met this yeah. guy who does investment banking. Well, I don't do investment banking. Maybe now's the time for me to, to learn a little bit about exactly. investment banking. And, and you kept on doing those things. And so did I miss anything? Is there um, more, um, is there more to it than, than that? Did I miss something important? Well, it's always looking for something. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And for instance, I, I had gone through um, college, uh, did a lot of, you know, my double major with finance and marketing and a secondary major. In fact, I've had, I gone one more semester, I would have had four separate bachelor degrees, economics and, and accounting. And even starting to get into the, in some of the master's uh, casework. And I still, even though I read about real estate and everything else, when the way this fraternity brother of mine explained how he was utilizing the depreciation to offset the positive profitable cash flow from his business, that really intrigued me. I mean, you can read it and you can have your professor talk about it and everything else, but until you sit down with someone that, I mean, you know, here I, I was like, in my, I was still in my 20s, and this gentleman was oh, about 10 or 15 years older than me, and uh, we were sitting in his house, which was about a 5,000-square-foot house, on the beach, or on the strand in Manhattan Beach, with a courtyard, a pool, and a 2,000, up two, two-story, two different rentals, 1,500 to 2,000 square feet behind him, and it's all paid for on top of that, he had a bunch of eight flexes and all over, you know, Hawthorne, Inwood, Torrance. But he had done something, and it was it was really drilling down to have him help me understand that. And fortunately, I had been blessed to be able to have that meeting when I was at New York Life at that regional meeting to, to hear Luke Kelso, I mean, the father of Eastsiders, and then talking to him afterwards. And then actually, I stayed in touch. I talked to him a few times after reading the book. Still, it, it still was not totally sinking in until I saw an alternative, like parallel concept of the offset of tax with paper. In other words, I call it, you have checkbook tax deductions and you have tax code tax deductions. It was clearly a code deduction versus a hard cash deduction. And so taking that principle that was explained to me through Richard, my, my fraternity brother, 
and transferring it to what I had heard six, five years earlier with the ESOPs, it made it where it gave me the foundation for what we're doing today. And it was just, it's just seeing, you know, alternative concepts that match up. And fortunately I had, you know, trying to do two, 300 lives a year, you know, trying to make the, you know, uh, at our North, Northwestern office, we had what we called CWP, consecutive weeks of production. And you want to turn in business every week, you know, so that, you know, every year, every year goes by, you've got 52 weeks of consecutive production. And I think by the time I left there to go more into the different marketplace, um, you know, I had seven straight years of consecutive weeks of production. That was important to me. And, and a lot of those people that you, you go out and you write them now back Today, there's not a lot of people writing $250,000 term policies. I mean, generally it's five or, or a million and maybe it's term. But back then, you'd, you'd spend an evening, you know, trying to get their attention away from, you know, Hill Street Blues or something like that, whatever they're watching back then, and getting them to concentrate on why they should have this term policy, if need be, to pay off the house if they died and or set aside stuff for the kids college and if they want to add another factor to it where they can help it get tax-free cash value at retirement then you try to sell them whole life back then it was only whole life and there's only term very few types of term <clears throat> and whole life and and it was either standard or declined there was very few there what it was before non-smoker smoker we were working, working out of rate books not you know, it was before calculators computers or anything else yeah. and so you just and you just stay on top of it. Now I'm I'm not a as we found out trying to get this set up this morning. <laughs> I'm not a technical person. So any you know when I was at when I was at Northwestern, one of the the another blessing I had was meeting a gentleman named John Todd Senior, and um, he was the, the probably the father of non-qualified deferred comp when he did General Electric back in 1973. And he had the Todd organization, which we have a lot of those now with the M group and Clark Bartis and all sorts of different national producer groups. But as I started thinking about his model and with what I understood about ESOPs, I wanted to try to recreate that where I had other people that I could do joint work with or open up cases around the country. And, but because feeling that I didn't want people to steal my ideas. I was operating very close to the vest and talking to, you know, small groups of agents and they'd have a case, we'd work on it. I didn't want to write any articles. I didn't want to talk at round table. I didn't want to do anything back there. I wanted to just be this ninja that would just go out there and do these cases. And now that I'm in my twilight years, <laughs> I guess, um, in the last, over the last, one gentleman's been with me, Rich Coffin. He's, I've, I've been working with him since I was a regional advanced uh, vice president for, at that time, General American, which was a mutual back then, but it demutualized and eventually got bought by MetLife. But he was in an LA agency. And 26 years ago, I was working in that capacity and helping people around their 17 Western states learn how to do ESOPs and buy sell agreements, estate planning, and do joint work. And then his agency actually dissolved. The, the general agent went off and did other stuff. And that agency just went, Phew. but Rich and I have stayed together working a lot of cases together. 
and then uh, two of my other partners um, were with another carrier that I had been working with for a lot of time, and they've we've all kind of followed each other now to where we have these these we don't we actually have five people now. We, one person was young and had to you know go off and get a different career because he was going to get married because our our income does this and that you know and uh, the cases are huge but they don't close every week you know my my consecutive weeks of production has just gone to pot i, I mean it's like consecutive quarters of production you know? <laughs> but the cases are not yet, yeah so. yeah and so and we're, you know I'm, I'm we're now like I, I spoke at mdrt edge the first one and i'm doing a lot of talks at nafa and um Rich, the one, the gentleman I mentioned, he's he's involved at NAFO on the state basis, and we're getting exposure. So a lot of our, uh, and they did an article on me at California California Broker about a case, kind of a case design. So little by little, we're getting more traction with more attention. And then last year, Congress um, passed what they call the uh, uh, Main Street Employer, uh, you know, Ownership Act. And it it actually was done to promote employee ownership in companies because with ESOPs, they've been around since the beginning of ERISA, just like pensions and Keo, who who does Keos anymore. But but they were they were all part of the they were a cornerstone of that first ERISA plan. And they've they've been protected from both sides of Congress because of the fact that there's an employee ownership aspect to it. The, those that are more on the liberal socialistic side, shall we say, they like it. And because it allows business owners to retain some more of their profits and build their business bigger and protect it, the more conservative, you know, less tax people like it. And so what we're seeing now is that we're seeing there's a, a, a growth and we're coming up on what we call the silver tsunami, where there's a lot of guys that are my age and maybe a little bit younger that over the next 10 years, they're going to be one now. But because now there's more discussion and more awareness of programs like ESOPs, it, it's making it a little bit easier to say, how would you like to, you know, have your company take a little bit different higher growth pattern for the next 10 years till you exit and then keep more of it. And so that you can get out there and have a better retirement because you know, the transition between generations is not like it used to be. And um, with, you know, with the fact that there's this big bubble, like this bell curve of baby boomers that are going to be trying to get rid of their businesses over the next, well, uh, the past 10 years and the next 10 years, you know, the successful transition of businesses generally is like 30%. And that's going to drop because there's going to be an infusion tenfold of new businesses coming into that market to be sold, less buyers, you know, so there's going to, so unless they do something, they're, they're just going to have to walk away from their business. Yeah. You know, unless, unless people want to do what dad did. I mean, not everybody, you know, they, they, they want to, if he's been successful, they want to drive their Lamborghini over to, you know, some university and then get a high paying job on wall street. Well, they don't want to. They don't. They don't want to pound nails for a living, or they don't want to bake loaves of bread, or they don't want to, you know, do what Dad did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so 
you know, there's no one could question the technical knowledge that you've put together, but I'm interested in the sales skills too. And, and I want to ask you a question that goes back to the district attorneys. Uh, you go to someone that you're having a conversation with and say, you know, if I do a complete analysis, will you give me an endorsement? Where did that come from? I mean, who would have even thought to do that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just a quick and easy. It just popped down. Well, I, I mean, I, it's like a, it's like solving a problem. Um, and I, there's a couple of things I like, like like when I when I, uh, I I teach this, you know, when you go through career school and all these different training programs, regardless of which carrier, they teach you all the certain questions to ask for referred leads or you know how to do this. And there's a couple ways that I ask people for referred leads that generally I don't hear in training. And one of them is, look, if you were me, you know, I'm talking to you and you're my client. I said, if you were me and you're, you're, you're in your first year, you're in your first couple years, and it's critical to have the right type of people for clients. And you know that if you didn't, if you didn't find the next 10 best people that you're going to have to go back to selling cars or washing dishes or whatever you could do, who are the 10 people you would count on if you were in my spot? So out of all the people you know, who would you want to invest your career in to be able to stay in this business? Who, who are the people you would call on first tomorrow? And I don't usually hear that question in a lot of the, but it's, it's like certain questions come up that are important. It's, um, like the There's idea with the, the description. <laughs> yeah. Like that, and, and, that and idea was amazing. So, so this is good too, the, the referral. What else would you want to share like that? Well, there was a, a talk and, and I heard it live at I think the 77 or 78 round table. Uh, but another, another dear friend of mine who's no longer with us, a guy named Jerry Pelletier had, had recorded it and bought the tape. And it was um, back then, it, before all these fancy names, it was, remember Tom Wolfe's capital needs analysis, which is CNA. And so it was kind of like a two minute CNA. And what it is, is, you know, when you talk to people on the phone, you want to get the appointment, say, look, we'll just chat for a few minutes and you meet me, I'll meet you. We might ask each other some questions to see if we can be a match and I can help you and you need me. Uh, so you get out there and, you, and, and you're ch chatting for a second. You say, let me ask you a question. Do you have a will? And they go, yes or no. Um, let's say, if you say no, I'd say, well, if you did have a will, what would it say? Well, I give everything to my wife. Oh, okay, so you're married. Yeah. A couple kids? Yeah, we have three kids. What is everything? When you say you want to give everything to your wife, what is it? You know, the house and this and this and the vacation home in Malibu or whatever. I say, okay, um, if, if, if something happened to you, would it be important for your wife and children to stay in that house? Well, yeah, it's a good school district. We've been lived there for six, seven years and all the neighbors. How important is that? What's well, very important? Okay. What would it take for your wife to stay in that house and to keep their current lifestyle in that house? Oh, 80,000 a year. Okay. Where would your wife get that eighty thousand a year? I don't know. I said, well, if if I if I came along with a bag of money, 
and she could earn a certain interest rate on it, how much, how big a bag of money would she need? And how much capital would she require to get that $80,000 a year? And I'll just do it easy because I'm Irish and kind of simple. I'll say, let's say 8%. So she gets 8%. Okay, it's going to take a million dollars. Well, where would she get that million dollars? He says, well, I've got a life insurance policy for 100000 Okay. And I get something at work. Okay. And I guess, and how much is that? Okay, that's 100000 Okay. And how much is that vacation home? That's two, would, would she sell it? I, I prefer she didn't sell it, but if she had to, yeah. Is she going to go back to work? Well, no, because she's got three kids and, you know, she'd be a single mom. I say, well, okay, so how much, if she had to sell that vacation, how much would it be? Well, 200000 So let me get this right. You're telling me that that if your wife would earn 8%, she'd need a million dollars of capital. Yeah. You've got how much in life insurance? And I make sure they say it. They're always saying it. Mm-hmm. They got 100000 or 200000 I say, so if you died today, um, she'd have 400000 towards that million, right? Yeah. Are you going to inherit anything in the near future? Well, no, no, not really. Are you, are you sure she wouldn't go back to work? No, she wouldn't go back to work. And it is important for her to stay in that house. Yeah, it's very important for her to stay in that house. Well, if you had that 400000 under your current plan, how much are you short? Shut up. <laughs> right. and let them do the math and they go well it's 600,000 okay well how's she going to get that I don't know I don't know <laughs> okay well you tell me it's, it's, it's your wife <laughs> you know how's she going to get the 600,000 well I guess she well maybe she'd buy more life insurance I don't know is that what you'd do would you recommend that she should have more life insurance protection yeah well let's assume for a second you got to do your takeaway. Let's assume for a second you're uninsurable. Now you look okay now. I mean, you look fine. You look healthy. Let's assume that you applied for that life insurance and you were turned down because your blood pressure, your cholesterol, you find out that you get your PSAs count too high. If she can't get that 600,000 through additional life insurance, how is she going to do it? Now it's important. She stays in that house, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 This is good. This is really- now that's, that's the two, that's a two minute CNA. It was Al Zalotnik. I didn't create it. Yeah. But it was a, a nice, uh, it's a nice way to just, you know, you're starting, do you have a will? You're not saying well, how much life insurance you need. Hey, I'm here to sell you life insurance. And this is the way I do my analysis. And here's what a book looks like with all of you know, it's just a simple, I, I usually do it like on a napkin or a piece of paper because I'm writing a few things down, like the value of the house and the 800,000 and stuff. Yeah, that's, and, that's um, Kelly, that's beautiful. And, and what I'd ask you is you've already shared so many great things. Can you give us one more? If I'm someone who just qualified for the MDRT and I'm looking at making cord or getting to top of the table as a mountain that I have to climb, what advice would you give me? First of all, go to the meeting because yeah. I cannot tell you how it was. Now, here's the thing. Back when I qualified back in 76 for the 77 roundtable, you didn't qualify for roundtable. You were what they called a provisional applicant. So if you didn't qualify again the following year, they erased your qualification. So number your first year didn't count, 
if you don't qualify two years in a row. Now that's how it used to be. Um, but at that point, I, I can tell you 100% spot on right now, if I did, had not gone to that meeting for my qualification from the first year, I would not be here today. Wow. Because, oh, because I mean, I was on burnout. I mean, I, I busted my tail the last four months of 76 and I qualified by the skin of my teeth. I mean, um, literally, I, I, I barely made it. And uh, the next year, I was, my first five, six months was lukewarm. I mean, I was, I'd, I'd really kind of, I, I called on a lot of people that, the referrers, and I was just starting to get more of my, my referrers. Then when I got, I came back, I came back energized. I came back having had, I mean, <clears throat> another thing I tell people, I said, the beautiful thing about our industry is that you don't have to retire if you don't want to. Because you know how they march all the old guys down the center aisle the first day, you know, all the past presidents and 30 year members and 50 year members and stuff. I mean, one of the, one of the guys was, had his oxygen tank with it. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm, I'm talking to these guys anytime I can sneak a minute during that, that week, five days or whatever it was. And I'm asking them questions. And I said, well, what's it like in retirement? And he said, well, I'm not retired. I play golf with my clients or I work three days a week or I work mornings or I work afternoons where I have a lot, I have a lot of, you know, four day weekends or I take six vacations a year, uh, but I'm not retired. But I've also been bringing in other people, and that's why my partners, I have, you know, one partner's 51, the other one's 50, 49, 30-something. They, they, do, they do things I don't do. <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't do a spreadsheet to save my neck. You know, I, I just, and I'm, we got a guy, he's just a genius on that. And, and we have people that they enjoy reading documents. And, and finding the, 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 the client, the prospect, you know, they have, here's their living trust and here's their buy-sell agreement and they contradict each other. So we have to rectify that in addition to knowing how to insure it. And so um, go to round table, talk, I mean, I don't care if you don't sleep, you talk to everybody there you can, you take a lot of notes, and you practice and uh, start taking your COU, your CHFC, all those courses. I mean, I, I spread mine out over like 16 years. You don't have to do that anymore. I mean, because of how start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, it, it probably took me 14 courses to get what they could do now in nine. Because, you know, if you, if you don't take them, then all of a sudden 302 becomes you know, split into two parts and, uh -huh. yeah. you know, it's like going back to your alma mater, you know, four years after you graduate and you find out that that MBA program, you thought, you know, these two courses you took in, in your senior year don't, don't qualify for the prerequisites for it anymore. So, you know. Get them done. You're saying get them done. Yeah. And I just, you just got to keep seeing the people until you find your niche. And mine used, mine would go after association endorsements, that that was with the the uh, district attorneys and with the NFL and a little bit Major League Baseball, but not much. And I started going after getting a set package of people that were my captive projects. You know, the the it's it's like 
you 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 try to set yourself up first of all by writing everybody you can for the first few years because you don't know what you're going to want to do i mean i there's no way in my third year in the business that i knew i wanted to get involved with mergers and acquisitions and esops and business succession planning i you know i you know everybody goes through their first three years where everybody wants to either work with doctors or small business owners or or, some, or whatever. And, or they want to specialize in long-term care or they want to specialize in group medical. You know, I mean, the whole, it's like, it's like when you first start college, you know, you, you know, I, I was going to be an attorney. And then I decided, well, maybe I'll be an architect. And then by the time I got through with my junior college, it was pretty clear I was, I was headed towards business and I enjoyed sales. I enjoyed the process of meeting people. And you know, you know, when, when they, when, when they talk about the difference between men and women, you know, they, your wife is telling you about the washing machine or something when you get home and then you, you start jumping in to solve it. That that's, I'm, I'm too much that way. It's so like, no, shut up. I just want you to listen to me. I've had a hard day. The sewing machine's broken the washing machine's broken, whatever, the dog won't stop barking. They, they don't want you to solve it. They just want you to listen. So I'm trying to get both of those put together. I'm trying to listen long enough so that I can solve it when, I, when time comes. Yeah, but listening yeah. obviously is, is super important and you made that pretty clear. Yeah. That's great advice and you've given us so many great things that I can't wait to get this out to people. And so I want to thank you so much for your time. You know, you were thanking me for having you here. I just want to thank you for your time and your expertise and, and the advice that you've given us. Yeah, I, I, I thank you. I mean, it's, you're very welcome on that. And um, I, I just, I guess I just leave it that, learn a lot of lot of things across the board for people the younger agents and just see as many people as you can and eventually you decide what you want to do awesome thank you again kelly thank you if you want to talk with me about your journey to the top of the table contact me at sandychassell.com slash conversation i'll see you at the top